0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this morning is from Acts 13 It says in your bulletin, I'm just going to read the first 12 verses, but I decided to read more. I'm going to break in the middle and pick up and read Paul's sermon. Acts chapter 13, please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Now there were at Antioch and the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was, also the, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. The man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elymas the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 16, Paul is now at Pisidian Antioch, and this is Paul's first recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Men of Israel and you who fear God, hear. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And after he had removed, removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose I am? I am not. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be destroyed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, The very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children. In that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead. No more to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served his purpose, the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who's belie- who believes is justified from all things. From which you could not be justified through the law of Moses. Take heed, therefore, so that the things spoken of by the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have raised Jesus, your Son, from the dead. And you have entrusted this message to us, your people. We pray that like Paul the Apostle, we would carry this message to the ends of the earth and claim city after city, territory after territory for the risen and reigning king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We first meet Saul of Tarsus at Stephen's martyrdom. He's keeping the cloaks for those who are stoning Stephen to death. Almost immediately, he turns from coat-check boy to the leader of a persecution of the church, the first systematic persecution that exists in the church. He breathes out threats and violence against believers. He signs death certificates for believers. He testifies against them and demands that they be put to death. Saul chases believers out of Jerusalem, chases them to Samaria, chases them to Antioch, chases them to other cities. Now, Saul is in Antioch himself. And Saul, instead of persecuting the church, has become one of the leaders of a church he helped to plant by chasing believers out of Jerusalem to Antioch. Now he's there and he's among the leaders of this fledgling congregation. The first church where believers are called Christians. The first church where the gospel is preached deliberately to Gentiles. The first church that we see the merging together of Jews and Gentiles into one body. What happened in between, of course, is that Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He moves from persecutor to apostle because he confronts or he is confronted by the living and reigning Jesus Christ. And everything that happens to Paul after that, even before he set out on his first missionary journey, Saul becomes. Saul's, the shape of Saul's life has already been established. Even before he's sent out as an apostle, as a missionary on his first expedition, Saul's life has taken the form it will take for the rest of his life. He witnesses to the risen Jesus who met him on the roads to Damascus. He preaches about the risen Jesus, convincing the Jews that the scriptures prophesied about this Jesus. He enrages the Jews. And the Jews try to kill him. He doesn't just change from persecutor to apostle, but Saul changes from persecutor to persecuted. From the hunter to the prey. He's been on the run. Everywhere he goes, he arouses the hatred of the Jews and he has to move on. And that's going to continue throughout his life. The trajectory of Saul's life has been set. And Saul who once kept the cloaks of those who were putting Stephen to death, has become a second Stephen. Like Stephen, a witness to the risen Jesus. Like Stephen, somebody who preaches Jesus from the scriptures. Like Stephen, somebody who is stoned and stoned again and keeps popping back up and continuing his missionary expeditions. Stephen was another Christ. Stephen was like a second coming of Jesus. If you go back to Acts chapter 6 and 7, you see that everything that Stephen does is something that Jesus had done before him. Because Stephen is filled with the spirit of Jesus, his very life is conformed to the life of Jesus. And if Paul, Saul, becomes a second Stephen, it's because he's also conformed to Jesus Christ. Saul's life, not just his message, but his life becomes a testimony to Jesus. His life is conformed to the life and sufferings of Jesus Christ. And his first missionary journey, his first missionary expedition, which is recounted here in Acts 13, also has this Christic, Christological shape. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as Luke tells it, Jesus is anointed with the Spirit at his baptism. He goes into the wilderness and he confronts Satan and battles with Satan. And then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and he preaches his first sermon. Spirit, Satan, Sermon. Three S's. Easy to remember. Alliteration. The same thing happens to Paul, Saul. Saul also receives the Spirit and is sent out on his first missionary expedition by the Spirit. Saul also confronts, not Satan directly, but a son of the devil, Bar-Jesus, a magos, a magician and false prophet in Cyprus. Saul also goes on, after defeating that false prophet, after defeating that son of the devil, Saul also goes on to preach his very first sermon. Both in his personal life And in the missionary expeditions, Paul's entire existence has been shaped by Jesus Christ. The light of Jesus shone on him on the road to Damascus. And having received that light, he becomes that light to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. On Cyprus, he stands before the Roman governor But the real action, the real drama of this episode is Saul's confrontation with Bar-Jesus, a false prophet. Bar-Jesus is described as a Jewish false prophet. He embodies the Jewish opposition to the mission of Paul, of Saul. But he's also a magos. He's a magician and he's in the court of a Gentile ruler. He embodies the Gentile opposition to Saul's mission. In one person, Saul confronts both Jewish opposition and Gentile opposition. And behind that Jewish and Gentile opposition, Saul discerns that it's ultimately the devil. It's ultimately Satan that's motivating Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus is supposed to be a great magician, a great power. His name means son of Jesus. Son of Jesus. But of course he's nothing like Jesus. He's not filled with the spirit. Saul says instead that he's filled with deceit and fraud. He doesn't have power over Saul. Saul has power over him. He's not a son of Jesus. He doesn't resemble Jesus. He's a son of the devil. Jesus comes saying, make straight the paths of the Lord. Make a path straight for him. But Jesus, son of Jesus, twists the ways of the lord he makes straight things crooked Saul charges he's the opposite of Jesus he bears the name of Jesus but the real son of Jesus in the passage the one who really resembles Jesus is Saul Saul is filled with the holy spirit Saul rebukes him and overcomes him even though he's filled with the power of satan Saul's the one who triumphs Saul is the one who proves himself the true son of Jesus in this passage. We should notice where this all takes place. This takes place on the island of Cyprus, in the capital city of Paphos, and Saul and Barnabas are appearing before a Roman proconsul. This is the first recorded episode in the first Gentile missionary expedition in the entire New Testament, and the very first stage of mission is the court of a Roman proconsul, a Roman governor. Saul isn't carrying on a political mission in the way that we think of politics. He's not lobbying for candidates. He's not supporting one or another of those who are contesting for the position of Caesar. He's not trying to pass legislation. But Saul's mission is entirely political because he is proclaiming the king, Jesus. And he proclaims the King Jesus before rulers and governors and kings. The first one being Sergius Paulus here on Cyprus. And Saul calls him to repentance. Saul is sent out as an emissary, an ambassador, a representative of the risen and reigning King Jesus. And his mission is not just to call individuals into, the, into salvation his mission is to claim city after city and territory after territory within the Roman Empire for the true king the greater Lord the true son of God not Caesar but the Lord Jesus Christ in this case Saul is successful Sergius Paulus, in spite of Bar-Jesus' efforts, Saul overcomes Bar-Jesus, who's trying to prevent uh, Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God. Saul overcomes him, and uh, Sergius, uh, Sergius Paulus sees that, and he recognizes, here is a power I should pay attention to. Here are words of life, here are words of power. When Saul leaves Cyprus, there is a Christian Roman governor on Cyprus. I want to talk about Christendom. Christendom starts right here. The conversion of the Roman Empire starts here and it continues on through the book of Acts. It continues on through the rest of the New Testament. It continues on to the following centuries until the Roman Empire is in fact Christian. That's not an accident. That's the point. That's the mission. To claim the world for the world's true Lord who is Jesus Christ. This might be why we have Saul's name change right in the middle of this passage. There are many reasons why Luke might decide at this point to introduce this new name for Saul. Saul, who is also called Paul, right in the the moment when he's uh, rebuking Bar-Jesus, he's doing that in front of a Roman governor who shares that new name, Sergius Paulus, and now an apostle of Jesus Christ whose name is Saul, but now who is named Paul. Paulus. It's the same name in the Greek. Paulus, Paulus. One of the things Luke is showing us is that Paul, Saul, is the true power in Cyprus. When Paul leaves Cyprus, Sergius Paulus is in charge. But Sergius Paulus has been changed by the gospel. He's a Christian governor of Cyprus. And Paul, the apostle, is kind of the shadow governor. Who is Sergius Paulus going to consult? You going to go back to Bar-Jesus? I think not. He's not going to listen to Bar-Jesus anymore. He's not going to listen to the Jewish false prophet. He's got another Jewish prophet, a Jewish apostle that will guide and lead him. Saul, Paul, becomes the shadow governor of Cyprus because he's carrying on a mission to bring the Roman Empire under the dominion of Jesus Christ the true king Saul's mission Paul's mission on Cyprus is a foreshadowing of everything that he will do in the rest of his ministry he will stand before kings and governors time after time after time he'll stand before Felix and Festus and King Agrippa and at the end of Acts he's waiting to stand before Caesar himself that's his main that's the main setting of of Paul's preaching He preaches more often in the courts of kings and governors than he does anywhere else. We know he goes to synagogues, but we don't see those as much as we see him standing before kings and governors. And this also foreshadows Saul's ministry, Paul's ministry, because of the the, the response to his ministry. Bar-Jesus is a Jewish false prophet. Bar-Jesus opposes him. Paul overcomes him. Sergius Paulus is a Gentile, a Roman, and he's an intelligent man who is amazed at what happens and rejoices to receive the word of God. A Jew, a Jewish false prophet who rejects the gospel, who ends up blind at the end of the story, and a Gentile governor who receives the word of God with gladness. That's going to be the dynamic of Saul's, Paul's, ministry for the rest of the book of Acts. It's the dynamic of his ministry in Pisidian Antioch. I didn't read it but the end of Acts 13 he's in Pisidian Antioch and after that sermon that he delivers Jews respond to him initially with eagerness. They want to hear more. Come back next week. We want to hear more about this Jesus. We want to hear more about how he fulfills the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms. Say the same thing next week. We don't don't mind if it's the same sermon. Come back and talk to us again. The next Sabbath, Paul comes back and the whole city has turned out. Not just the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who were there in the synagogue the first time. The whole city of Pisidian Antioch now wants to hear the gospel. And the Jews become jealous. They thought maybe Saul was going to help them grow their synagogue. But now Paul seems to be breaking off and has another message and he's got more followers than they've got. And so they begin opposing Paul and they stir up the leading families of the city to oppose Paul. And Paul has to be run from the city, has to go from the city. He shakes the dust off his feet as he goes out of the city. He says, I'm leaving you Jews. The Gentiles have received the gospel. That's according to God's plan. And the Gentiles rejoice. Over and over again this is going to be Saul's story. He's going to preach. Some Jews are going to believe. Many Jews are going to oppose him. Many of them out of jealousy. The Gentiles are going to receive the gospel with gladness and joy. In the middle between Paul's mission in Cyprus and his mission in Pisidian Antioch we have the sermon that I read. It's Paul's first and longest sermon in the book of Acts. It's paradigmatic of his preaching. This is what Paul's gospel sounds like. What does it sound like? First of all, it's a whole Bible message. Paul doesn't just preach about the life of Jesus, though he does preach about the life of Jesus. He doesn't just start with the ministry of John, though he mentions the ministry of John. He starts with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tells briefly the story of the Exodus and the story of the wilderness wanderings and the story of the settlement in Canaan and the judges and King Saul and climaxing with King David. He he recounts and summarizes the whole history of Israel. And he does it by quoting from all of the different sections of the Old Testament. The Jews thought of the Old Testament as divided up into three sections. There's Torah, there are prophets, and there are writings. And Paul quotes from every one of them. He refers to the law. He quotes two Psalms. He ends with a quotation from Habakkuk. He's quoting from the prophets. He quotes also from Isaiah. It's a whole Bible Message, Not just a message that starts with Matthew or with the ministry of Jesus. But the second thing is equally important. It's a whole Bible message about Jesus. Everything in this, in this sermon comes to a climax with Jesus. The history of Israel comes to David. And then David has a greater son, Jesus he recounts Jesus ministry and they put him to the death uh, and the leaders of the Jews put Jesus to death and yet God raised up Jesus and we are witnesses of this risen Christ and we proclaim the risen Christ all of the scriptures proclaim Jesus the Torah proclaims Jesus the Psalms proclaim Jesus Jesus is the king of Psalm 2 he's the one who does the Holy One who does not decay in Psalm 16 He's the one who brings in these, uh, these uh, astonishing times that Habakkuk refers to. The marvelous times when, he's, when God is accomplishing a work that they don't believe. Jesus does that. Jesus does everything. Paul wasn't there at the first Easter when Jesus took his disciples aside and taught them everything concerning himself in all the scriptures. But somewhere along the line he learned that message. He, he learned that lesson. He teaches the whole Bible, but he knows the whole Bible is the story of Jesus. That is the center of Paul's gospel. It has to be the center of our gospel. We don't know who Jesus is. We don't know what he's come to do. Unless we understand Jesus as the climax of what happened before. As the son of Abraham. As the son of David as the child and the ruler promised by the prophets. Unless we know that about Jesus, we don't understand Jesus. You, you know, you try to start with the New Testament Christianity. First page of Matthew, Jesus Christ, son of Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? Go back to David, who's David? And they've got a genealogy, all these names. Who are these people? You can't read a few, uh, more than a few verses of Matthew without going back to the Old Testament. There's no New Testament gospel without the Old Testament. We don't understand Jesus without the whole Bible. We don't understand the Bible without Jesus either. We can't understand what's going on in the Old Testament unless we know that it climaxes with the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's at the center of our gospel. A whole Bible message and a message about Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And Paul's message has a particular Focus. It's not just Jesus in general. It's a particular event in the life of Jesus that's at the center of Paul's message. And he says, at the center of the entire scriptures. Jesus is the king of Psalm 2 because he rose from the dead. Jesus is the holy one who did not decay because he rose from the dead. Jesus is the true son of David, the greater David, because God raised him from the dead. It's a message about Jesus as the culmination of the entire Old Testament. Specifically, it's a message about the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that Israel hoped for is fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins, witness to the Gentiles, the conversion of the Gentiles, justification, everything that they want, the fulfillment of all the promises of Israel, are realized in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is not just a seal of approval on something that was already fully completed on the cross. Sometimes we think that way. We have a hard time understanding why the resurrection has to follow the cross if Jesus says it is finished while he's on the cross. Why have the resurrection? Maybe it's just God's stamp of approval on the cross. No. If Christ is dead, he is not Christ. A dead Savior is not a Savior. The resurrection is the necessary completion of what Jesus did on the cross. And without it, we have nothing at all. Unless Jesus is raised, we are still in our sins. Unless Jesus is raised, he is not the living Lord of all. Unless Jesus is raised, death and sin still reign in this world. And death has the last word. Everything depends on this good news. This is the good news for Paul. God raised up Jesus. Everything depends on that. Because God raised up Jesus, we have the turning point of human history, the plot twist in human history that explains everything that went before and determines everything that's coming after. Because Jesus rose from the dead, the reign of sin and death has given way to the reign in life of those who receive righteousness and grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, he's declared son of God in power. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have the spirit of life. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have new life now. And we can bear fruit to God. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can devote our bodies and the members of our bodies to righteousness and justice because we share in that resurrection power. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we are born again to a living hope. Because God raised Jesus, this perishable will put on imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. This weakness will be swallowed up in strength. And these fleshly bodies will be glorified into spiritual bodies. Because God raised up Jesus, the whole creation groans with pangs of childbirth to give birth to a new creation. Because God raised up Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not things present, not things to come, not life, not death, not angels, not principalities. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord because God raised Jesus from the dead. Nothing can stand against us because God raised Jesus. No one can lay a charge against us because God raised Jesus. We have nothing, nothing to fear because God raised Jesus. What is the greatest fear you have? What is the greatest terror that any tyrant can threaten you with? Nothing worse than death. And death is overcome. The sting has been taken out. We have absolutely nothing to fear because God raised Jesus. All scriptural roads lead to Jesus. All scriptural roads lead to the resurrection of Jesus. All roads lead to Easter. And all missional roads lead from Easter this is the message we have this is the only message we have there is no good news unless God has raised Jesus from the dead but he has and Jesus is alive and Jesus reigns and you share in his resurrection power because God raised Jesus and so we say Christ is risen he is risen indeed In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he fulfills all the prophets, all the law, all the Psalms. And Father, we thank you that you did not leave him in the grave, but by the power of your Spirit, you raised him up. And by that, have given us life and immortality eternal life in Jesus Christ. We pray that we would live in the confidence of that resurrection, knowing that you raised Jesus, and so nothing can stand against us. We praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed, K-I-R-K, dot com.